Today I want to talk to you guys about this idea of worship. And when I use that term worship, some of you guys might have different ideas about what that means. And worship, for me, when I was younger, it meant the songs that we sung on Sunday morning. And I'm, I'm one, I love crowd participation. Um, so if you could just help me out. If you guys know the words to the songs, um, just go along with them. It's, it went, I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a... A lot of you guys know it. That's good. That's, yeah, I am a C-H-R-E-S-T-I-N. And there were also other songs like, Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah. Nice. And I think when I was younger, I, I, I used to go through this mentality of worship being this this thing that we did on Sunday morning when we were singing songs together. And maybe for you, if you've not been to church, like you're not around this environment very often, that word worship, you might be like, oh, I worship LeBron James or Steph Curry or Michael Jordan or different people like that. You might understand that from the concept of worshiping a sports team or something of that nature. Or maybe for people who have been around the church for a while, um, it has become music in general that focuses on Jesus or, or God um, and, and the stations that we listen to in our car and we listen to worship music. And if you're someone who's been around the church for a while, you may have actually probably heard the phrase that worship is not just about the music that we sing it's about a lifestyle and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is where that concept comes from of worship being a lifestyle and it starts with this idea that paul throws out in, in his book uh, written to the his letter written to the romans in chapter 12 verse 1 it says this Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, when we sacrifice and live for God. You see, the worshipful lifestyle happens when we live sacrificially. Because it's so common for us to live, go through life believing that we want to do things our way. And this worshipful lifestyle happens when we live sacrificially. And Jesus was actually the, one of the best examples of this. And I, I, I just want to look with a, a particular story of Jesus living sacrificially Together, We're going to be in the, chap or the book of John chapter 4. Uh, and if you have Bibles, that's awesome. If you don't have one, um, there's one in the seat. And there are a few in the seats in front of you. Um, and you can follow along there in that Bible. I actually brought it up here with me so that I could tell you. It's on page 1065. Um, and if you don't have a Bible that is your own, feel free to 
take a copy of it with you. We would love to give you guys that as a gift um, from the church. Um, because we want everyone to be able to just encounter Jesus. And so Jesus exemplifies this, this whole idea of living sacrificially. And while, while you're getting to John chapter 4, I want to give you guys just a little bit of context. You see, in Jesus' times, there were basically, there were these two different groups of people that I'm going to give you a little context into. There were Jews and there were Samaritans. And Jews were basically, like the way that I describe these two different peoples um, to like my students and whenever I'm encountering um, people that don't have familiarity with this, I, I basically equate it to, so you've got like two massive teams. It's like Batesville Bulldogs versus Greensburg Pirates. Batesville Bulldogs versus Greensville Pirates. And like there's this huge rivalry between these two people groups. And, and this happens um, and, and there's just so much enmity built up between the two. It's not a perfect example, but some people are like, yeah, Batesville is so much better than Greensburg, or Greensburg is way better. And this, this type of rivalry and this type of tension between these people groups came about because, honestly, these two people came from the same heritage. The Jews and the Samaritans, they both came from this people called Israel, the Israelites. These were all God's people. But the basic premise was whenever they went off into um, captivity, whenever these people went off into captivity, the Jews did not intermarry with other people. They, they stayed to themselves. They stayed pure in their minds. And, and the Samaritans, on the other hand, they did intermarry with these, with these people. And so when they intermarried with these other people groups, which was against what God wanted, the Jews thought that they were inferior. They were like, they would even call them like half-breeds. And, and these terms to be very demeaning towards Samaritans. And the Jews were very brutal towards Samaritans. Samaritans did not like the Jews either because, I mean, if somebody's going to act all stuck up and snooty and be rude about your ancestry, that's, I mean, that's your family. And so there was always this dichotomy and this, this, this tension between these two people groups. And so as we go into um, John chapter 4, I just want to give you guys that context as we're talking about Jesus's encounter. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 and go through verse 6 for a moment. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about 
noon. So again, a little bit of context. Jesus is going into Samaria where these, these Samaritans live. He is in the heat of the day. It is midday, like the hottest part of the day. And he is going there in the middle of the desert. And this is where this story picks up. And it says in verses 7, um, 7 through 11, I believe, 10. It says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered here, If you knew the gift of God, who, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living, living water. And inside of this, we get to see that Jesus is crossing massive cultural boundaries, cultural lines that have been drawn in the sand. He, as a Jewish man, would never associate with a Samaritan woman. And he is going through everything to speak and encounter this woman. And it's here that we see the first realization of a worshipful lifestyle. And here we see um, all of this build up from Jesus taking those cultural lines and no longer having them as a divide. And it goes on um, in verses 10 or 11 through 15. It says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And inside of this, we get to see, again, Jesus is breaking so many cultural lines of asking her to do something for him, asking her to give him something, and explaining what is going on. And I, I love this story because we get to see such a crucial thing inside of it about what living sacrificially looks like. See, living sacrificially requires us to resign from human nature and align with God's spirit. And human nature is something that is very, easy, very difficult to shake off. Human nature is very self-seeking. It, it wants, I want to do what I want to do. And I know that there are times that um, even inside of my own life, I've, I've had to struggle with, do I do what I want to do myself, or do I deal with this in a way that's, that's better? 
and sacrificial. And many of you guys probably had some Thanksgiving plans, and me and my wife also got to make some Thanksgiving plans. We got to see all of my, like a lot of my immediate family and her immediate family, which was awesome. And we were going through making our plans and we planned to leave right after school for Carly on Tuesday so that we could get as much time as we could with our families. And then Monday night, my wife comes with like a migraine after school and it's like, oh no, <laughs> what are we going to do? And selfishly speaking, I was like, just suck it up. Like we're still leaving right now. Like I want time with my family. And we decided um, after a little bit of conversation and realizing like, yeah, she can't pack tonight. <laughs> we decided we'll just leave. We, we left Wednesday morning at 4 a.m. so we could, again, just spend a lot of time with our families. But sometimes we have to resign ourselves to what we want and instead do what is sacrificial and loving and kind and gracious and understanding of others. And inside of this story, inside of this dichotomy, we get to see how human nature plays out versus God's spirit. And human nature, it reproaches. This woman has so much going against her. She is, I mean, back in that time, men did not, all, like already, men didn't interact with women very often unless it was their wife or their spouse. It wasn't a very common practice just to have those conversations. And, and not only that, but she is a Samaritan woman, which is like the worst thing in a Jew's mind back in that time. And human nature would reproach this woman. It's like, I don't want anything to do with her. But Jesus instead, he approaches her. And goes out of his way to recognize this is a human. This is a person who needs God just like everybody else. And not only would human nature reproach this woman. But even more so, this, ha this would happen because we find even more evidence as to why Jesus should not interact with this woman. We're looking at verses um, 16 through a while. You'll follow along with me. It says, He told the woman, Go call your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband. Jesus answered her, You know what? You're right. You don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're with right now, he's not even your husband. What you said is true. You don't have a husband. And so not only is she a Samaritan woman, but she's an adulterous Samaritan woman. She's like the town bluesy. I don't know how else to say that. But she is this person that you don't... You don't interact with her. And yet Jesus continues to go forward and continues to go and approach this woman 
who is just as much in need of God as each of us. And even though she had literally three strikes, like strike one, Samaritan woman, like strike two, woman, strike three, adulteress, like you're out. Like there's no way around it. And yet he continues. And in verses 19 and 20, we get to see how, again, this, this dichotomy of human nature versus God's spirit continues to play out. And it says that in verses um, 19 and 20, it says um, this. It says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And I love this, this encounter because if I'm just like, I see a lot of myself inside of her because human nature is to deflect. I don't want to have to deal with this heavy conversation. I don't want to have to recognize the faults in my own life. Like he's talking about how I, I'm an adulterous woman. He figured that out. And I don't want to have to deal with that. So instead, she tries to steer the conversation away from herself, away from the, the sin that's inside of her life. And she deflects it towards, oh, like, you guys say that we should, we, you know, we say that we should worship here. And you guys say we should worship there. Let's talk about that instead of myself. That would be great. And I know I'm that way, too. Whenever something gets difficult, whenever something gets just a little too close to home, a little too close for comfort, I, I like to use humor to like deflect it. I, that's how I am. And I'm certain that many of us in this room are like that as well because that's human nature. It's to deflect and not have to deal with all of our difficulties. But Jesus instead continues to reflect and he reflects God's spirit and God's truth through the conversation that he has and his spirit of worship. And inside of that, we get to see how he answers this question. And he says, woman, believe me. A time is coming when we will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what, what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming now and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I think that it also reveals such an important concept for us. That it's not about all of this stuff that we do. See, even inside of this, we get to see that Human nature, it externalizes. It's a very big, fancy way to say that it's about where we do church. And a lot of us would say the same thing. I go to church at BCC. I pray. I 
listen to Christian music in my car. This is how I, that's, that's what it means to worship. But instead, oh my, but instead, Jesus internalizes. He says it's not about the stuff that you do. It's not about whether or not you are the, um, the habitual Christian who's here on Sunday morning. It's not about whether or not you serve. It's not about whether or not you listen to Christian music. It has nothing to do with what we do, but instead it's the life that we are living sacrificially and a heart of worship that is fixated on Jesus. And it's a spirit of truth. And that's how we worship. And I think that we so often get caught up on what we, what we do. That it's not about that. It's about who are we worshiping and how are we worshiping. How are we using the music that we do? How are we spending our time? How are we how are we parenting? How are we setting an example inside of our family? How are we doing this differently? And instead of fixating on just what we do, we instead need to know that it's through a connection with God. And again, each of us connects with God differently. Each of us has a different way that we like to encounter God. For some of you all, it may be through, through like hymns. For, for some of you all, it may be through the way that we get excited about like Mitch McVicker. That may be a really worshipful way for you to encounter God. And maybe if you're like me, I love going out in nature. That's one of the ways that I connect with God the most is just seeing his creation and recognizing how awesome of a creator that God is. That's personally how I like to do it, or, or playing and using music, or, or, I mean, even for me, like a worshipful act is just spending time with my wife and figuring out how to be a better husband, how to be a better example. And we all externalize differently. We all present our acts of worship differently. But let's stop fixating on the external and connect to God through our life and through everything and recognize that, yeah, this doesn't always connect with me, but I hope that it connects with somebody else. And if it pleases God, it pleases me. And so throughout this, um, we get to see that, that this dichotomy is always going to be at work inside of us, always unavoidable is we are always going to be called towards fleshly desires and human nature of wanting to do what I want to do. But once we encounter the living God and once we live sacrificially, it changes everything. And we get to see how it changed this woman. It says, picking up in verse 27, just then his disciples returned and we're surprised to find him talking with a woman. You don't do that. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? 
Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to town and said to the people, she said, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And later on, as, as we're able to skip down just a little bit to verse 39, it says this. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, they, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two more days. And this is a huge indicating factor of a worshipful lifestyle, is that the worshipful lifestyle cannot help but share how they have encountered the living God and and a God who loves them, who's approached them, who has done all of this for them. And that is one of the single biggest earmarks of being worshipful, is having a grateful attitude and recognizing that it's not about me. It's about what God has done. And the worshipful lifestyle cannot help but share. We share ourselves. We share our time. We share our energy. We share everything. And we're able to do this because Jesus first shared himself. Jesus shared himself first with us. He approached this woman. He encountered this woman. And he encountered us through his sacrifice on the cross. And I know that it's no longer about me. That is, that is what the true worshipful lifestyle says. It's no longer about me. And we get to see Paul's take on this. It's in uh, Galatians chapter 2. It it says this. It says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have died, and I have been crucified with him. And inside of this, um, he goes on to say this. He says, um, In verse 20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the God that we serve. And as we we close out, we're going to go uh, into a time of communion where we focus on Like what God has done and the way that he has loved us and the way that he has approached us. I pray that we can be people who can share the amazing things that God has done inside of our lives and be worshipful and self-sacrificial. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that we can be a people who are intentional with recognizing you and being willing to sacrifice ourselves like you have done for us time and time again. I pray that we can be 
just so grateful and live in a way that is representative of how much we love you for what you have done for us. And I pray that we can have a spirit that is just so thankful and so dependent on you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.